Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, November 14th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about some film and TV news. And in the mailbag, we'll read some listener responses and answer a question about hanging out at the cinema. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serrata. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Uh, we're recording this a little early today because I have to... Uh, Jet out to Glendale to check out a Wreck-It Ralph 3D experience at the uh, the Void. So I'm excited to do that. But uh, let's just jump into the news. Uh, let's start off with uh, Brad's favorite, Ghostbusters. Dan Aykroyd is still trying to push the idea that Ghostbusters 3 is possible. Brad, tell us about it. Yes, uh, apparently Dan Aykroyd is still tooting the horn that he wants to get the original Ghostbusters back together, or at least what remains of them since uh, Harold Ramis passed away a few years ago. Um, and, and this is a recent update, too, even though it's not much different from the previous updates when the film was constantly stuck in development hell. But apparently Dan Aykroyd appeared on uh, the big interview with Dan Rather, a show on AXS TV, and the discussion eventually turned to Ghostbusters, and he said, quote, there's a possibility of a reunion with the three remaining Ghostbusters. It's being written right now. And then he um, he added, uh, discussing the fact that Bill Murray has famously w- not wanted to return for a third Ghostbusters movie as Peter Venkman. Ackroyd said, quote, I think Billy will come. The story's so good, even if he plays a ghost. And that last little reference is interesting because it seems to indicate that they might be rewriting or partially using a script that had been greenlit um, before Harold Ramis had died that would have continued the Ghostbusters franchise in the same timeline, but it would have flashed forward um, basically in real time to present day where uh, Oscar, Dana Barrett's son from Ghostbusters 2, was a grown-up post-grad student, and apparently he inherits the Ghostbusters business after Peter Venkman passes away in an early scene in the movie, hence Bill Murray playing a ghost. Um, I'm not sure that's the best route to take for <laughs> continuing the Ghostbusters. It's not as if, you know, uh, you know, Oscar is this revered character or anything like that. I, I like the idea that it introduces 
the concept of him probably assembling a new team of Ghostbusters and having the old Ghostbusters pass the torch, but I, I feel like this is not the way to do it. Um, it feels like a lazy connection to make, and uh, I mean, it's not as if, uh, like, they would have to do a lot of filling in the gaps, too, because you know, Bill Murray and Dana, you know, or Peter Venkman and Dana weren't really together in Ghostbusters 2. They were estranged, and uh, Oscar's father wasn't around. Um, so I, I don't know. It's, it seems odd. I, I don't think it's but ever... Brad, really... a, a huge, uh, world-changing, dramatic experience like that can bring two people together. I mean, sure. <laughs> uh, I just, I feel like the, I've written about this before. I wrote, a, I wrote a, a whole thing about how I think there's a great way that you can connect the Ghostbusters reboot to the original timeline and still continue uh, with a passing of the torch and, and also feed into the idea of uh, parallel dimensions or alternate universes that have been uh, mentioned in Ghostbusters before, especially since there's a whole comic book line right now that has been happening where all the different Ghostbusters franchises cross over into each other. They, they've had the reboot characters meet the original Ghostbusters and those characters have met the real Ghostbusters and those characters have met the extreme Ghostbusters. So there's a way to do this and still keep everything intact and not, you know, white boy history or do anything weird uh, and, you know, and still have it work. But I, you know, who, who knows? I, I just don't think this is going to happen. I'm not even sure I want to with Harold Ramis gone and Bill Murray unwilling, it just seems like they're forcing it. Yeah, that, that, that's what I'm kind of wondering. I know Ghostbusters, it, it is your favorite movie of all time, right? I It, it fluctuates. My, I have a top five that's pretty, like, unflinching. But yeah. again, Ghostbusters is usually somewhere in it. Like, even the best version of this movie, is that something that you want to add to this franchise for, 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 for you personally? I mean... For it, here's the thing: if you if you if you add to the franchise, it's never going to ruin that original for me. Yeah. And I'm always I'm I'm definitely always curious about it. Like like if they can get it together, I would love to see what they can do. You know, even if I walk away, not you know not being as pleased with it as I otherwise might have. You know, it it would be cool just to maybe see it happen and see what they can do. And I I'll always love the original no matter what. Um, so it's you know if they can do it, sure. I I would love to see them get a you know a new young team together. Pass the torch, see what happens. That that's kind of what I always wanted um, from a, a new Ghostbusters movie. So you know, if they can do it, more power to them. I think the best scenario with this is to do it like Legacy equals style, to do it like Creed or any of those kind of movies where you know maybe you know those characters appear in a scene or two, but it's really about a new generation. Um, kind of what they probably should have done with this new Ghostbusters movie, but um, they decided to have cameos from those characters, from those people instead, which was uh, really weird and awkward. Um, uh, let's move on to Netflix. Let's talk about uh, Netflix is experimenting with a cheaper pricing tier. Ben, you wrote this up for the site. What do we know? Yeah, I don't think it's going to be coming to the United States. So don't get too excited, Netflix subscribers in the U.S. who are listening to this right now. I think what is happening here is that Netflix is trying to expand its global reach and, and continue its ongoing path toward world domination even more. So CEO Reed Hastings said in a, a pretty recent interview that – he and the Netflix team are going to be experimenting with a lower-priced Netflix tier that's going to be made available in select markets. And we don't even really know how cheap this is going to be or where or when this is 
this is actually going to be rolled out and implemented, but it's a pretty good bet that this is going to be happening in Asia somewhere because this is uh, a part of the world that Netflix has, has been targeting for years and hasn't been able to uh, penetrate in the same way that it has, um, you know, stateside and stuff like that. So uh, basically they, they've been putting a lot of resources into trying to get as many people in countries like India and Korea and Japan and Thailand and Taiwan to subscribe to their service as possible. Uh, they're facing a lot of uh, competition there, obviously, with things like YouTube, which is free. But India in particular, uh, Reed Hastings says that there are as many as 100 million people in India alone that Netflix is trying to turn into customers. But India itself already has a streaming service that is cheaper than uh, the lowest price tier that Netflix is offering in India. So um, they're and, you know, this is all coming right before the release of Disney Plus, which is Disney's new streaming service that's going to be debuting at the end of next year. So it seems like right now Netflix is just trying to uh, do whatever they can to secure as much of that global reach as possible before Disney Plus comes in and, and sort of adds a whole nother warrior to the, the streaming wars. Yeah. And we've heard Disney Plus is going to be cheaper than what Netflix is currently charging. So uh, right. the war has begun. Uh, let's move on to Starsborn. We have learned uh, some alternate casting that could have happened for this film. Brad, tell us about it. Yeah, pretty early on in development of this movie, when Bradley Cooper became director, he wasn't intending to star in the movie himself, and he actually had an eye on casting a real musician in the role of Jackson Maine. And apparently, one of the people that he approached was none other than Jack White, who is the singer-songwriter who was part of the duo The White Stripes. Uh, he's also been in bands like The Rack and Tours, and now he's solo and has his, his own albums and um, performs his, his own songs and everything. And so he initially approached Jack White to have the starring role, but apparently Warner Brothers was not interested in having him lead. And that's not entirely surprising. Jack White is obviously known for his music, but his acting career has been extremely uh, short in comparison to anybody else that might star in the movie. Uh, he's He had a role in Cold Mountain, and he also had a role in Walk Hard. So he that's played not really... Elvis Presley in Doc. Uh, he Walk did, Hard. and actually, and that, that's, I, I honestly, he's so good in that quick cameo. He's just so loose, and he feels like such a natural comedy performer. I would love if somebody like gave him a chance in in like uh, a full fledged acting role where he actually got to show whether or not you know he has the skills to do it. Because I I think that he's got you know there's a performer in there somewhere when it comes to acting. Um, but yeah, obviously it didn't happen, and you know you you don't really want a movie that is likely to be an awards contender led by somebody who is an untested, you know, presence at the box office. Um, he wasn't going to draw anybody in with, with his presence necessarily, at least not as much as Bradley Cooper would. And at the end of the day, Bradley Cooper turned in an incredible performance and he also ended up becoming a professional grade guitarist and pianist out of it. In <laughs> addition, in addition to, you know, giving us that incredible gruff voice he has throughout the entire movie. <laughs> I mean, it might be too early to say that, you know, that performance is kind of iconic, but I, I really can't imagine anybody else playing that role uh, in, in that particular version of the movie. Like, I don't know, it, it's hard for me to imagine Jack White. Like, I, I, I love these kind of stories because you read them all the time for, like, you know, 
classic movies and who was up for the roles. And I, I always love trying to imagine those people in the movie. But this one I just can't uh, – I, I think it would have been a totally different movie. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But the character of Jackson Maine would have been completely different. I can't imagine it would have been the same thing that Bradley Cooper came up with. Um so yeah, that's you know, I, I, in some alternate universe, I would love to see that version of the movie. Let's move on to Origin. This is YouTube Premium's new sci-fi show. The first reviews have hit the web, uh, and I'm really curious because, as you know, I am a huge, huge, huge fan of Cobra Kai. YouTube Premium's first uh, original, uh, or first real original uh, show. So, and this one looks like it might. Uh, you know, filled the gap that I've been looking to fill uh, ever since Lost went off the air. So, Ben, tell me, does is, is the early buzz good? So, the early buzz, uh, almost every single review that is out so far uses a variation of the line, it's like Lost in space. So, every, everybody <laughs> came to that pun and, and decided to employ that there. Uh, but in terms of, I think, from my understanding... The reviewers were only given two episodes to review so far, so that's it's not really you know you've got a ten episode season, so they've only seen a, a pretty small percentage of what the entire first season has to offer. So it, it's almost it, like and we should clarify what what is the show about? Do you know? Yes, yes. Uh, so origin basically it unfolds across two timelines. So sixty uh, percent of the show takes place on a spaceship called the Origin in the future, um, where a group of approximately I think eleven colonists wake up from cryogenic sleep too early, and they discover that their uh, spaceship, which is basically serves as a haunted house in the show, is completely abandoned. Something happened. Nobody knows what's going on. And they're trying to figure out why they're the only ones who are left behind on the ship and, and what is haunting this ship with them. Is it an alien? Is it a supernatural thing? What's going on? And then the other timeline is is just flashbacks. It's I guess it's the same timeline. It's just uh, divided up, sort of like Lost. That's where a lot of the comparison comes from because each episode features flashbacks, um, you know, to the the various colonists' lives on Earth and trying to explore why they ended up going on this journey to this uh, this other planet where that is like uh, habitable by humans. So that's the the basic setup. And as for whether or not the show is good, it, it's basically a lot of people are saying it looks really slick. Uh, Paul W.S. Anderson, who directed uh, Event Horizon, which is a, a really, um, I guess, beloved sci-fi movie that also has some tinges of horror to it, directed the first two episodes. And it seems like there's been uh, some praise for his directorial work work there it seems like he's he's definitely working in a um in, in his wheelhouse so to speak and i think uh the review from collider one of the paragraphs really crystallizes the majority of the critical reaction and i'll just read that really quickly it says overall origin is fine it's good even the twists come jarring and fast the gooey bone bending body horror is wonderfully executed and every episode so far again much like lost ends on a perfectly thudding cliffhanger that will usher you directly to the next episode button but it could have been more there's a moment that even proves it could have been uh, that, that it could have been much more deep into the second episode after a series of cheap sudden bang jump scares Tom Felton's character yells can everyone just stop hurling themselves around corners I love that and it makes me think of a series that not only revels in the tricks and tropes of its inspirations but also works a bit harder to subvert them 
So it sounds like the show still needs a little bit of time to carve out its own identity. And right now it's sort of living in the shadow of a lot of other more memorable pieces of pop culture, but it sounds like it has a lot of potential. So, um, Peter, are you, I know you're a YouTube premium guy. Are you interested in this one? Uh, I am. I'm going to check this out. And I, I think all 10 episodes are on YouTube premium right now. Are they doing the same thing where the first couple episodes are available for free to YouTube subscribers? Do you know? I don't think so. I just looked at their YouTube page when I was writing this up, and it, it the word premium was listed right next to all the episode titles. So I uh, think that means that you have to have uh, you have to be subscribed to watch all of them. I think that's a bad idea. I think what they should do is they should take that model of getting people addicted with like the first episode and having them you know <laughs> jump into the YouTube premium because also I think you get like the first month of YouTube premium. Uh, for free you know it's like a free trial kind of thing so I, it's so easy to press that button i think um i i've talked about in the past on this podcast that you know i watch so much youtube that subscribing to youtube premium uh just to avoid all the advertisements is worth it for me alone um and uh, you know these shows like cobra cry and origin are just you know uh bonus it's, it's, it's almost like uh you know i subscribe to amazon prime to get the free shipping Mm-hmm. And uh, all these TV shows are bonus to me. Like, I don't, I don't subscribe for that. Like it, it, that's almost secondary. So I, I'm excited to check this out. I, I will check this out, and uh, and I'll report back in the water cooler um, with what I what I think, and uh, try to convince you guys to jump on the YouTube uh, <laughs> subscription bandwagon, or maybe not. Maybe maybe it's not good. Which, by the way, like. I know Ben. I know you are a huge fan of Lost, and uh, mm-hmm. Brad, did you like Lost? Oh yeah, I loved Lost. I, that yeah. was like, I was always looking into like theories and yeah. mis- mysteries and all- online and chat rooms and stuff like that, uh, or forums rather, not chat rooms, and trying to figure out like things in the show that everyone was talking about. It was the most dedicated I've ever been to any series. Me too. Uh, why do you think there hasn't been a show? I guess Westworld probably is the best show that's kind of filled that void. But since Lost, yeah, West, like... Westworld was the first time that uh, since Lost that I had been like, had looked into theories online and was reading everything I could about the, the show as it was going on. But why do you guys think that there, the TV's had so much trouble and I'm not saying something that like beats or meets Lost, but like something that isn't horrible. Like almost all those Lost, uh, you know, copycats that came out after Lost, like were just not good at all ben, yeah do you have I think, any theories or brett i, I just Go think ahead. it's a special kind of show to do it you know and it's it's uh it's hard to replicate a phenomenon like that and have it be just as successful as it is the first time around you can't you know copy something and get, get the same results you know lost kind of gradually became what it was and became this obsessive show for a lot of people um, and I, I think, if anything, the amount of content that is out there has increased significantly because when Lost first started, you know, there um, there wasn't really uh, any streaming content out there. Like uh, towards the end of Lost is, I believe, when Netflix really started to get into streaming, but they didn't have any of their original programming yet. And there weren't anywhere near as uh, high a number of original shows coming from other content providers. So it's it's hard, I think, to get as large of an audience together. Uh, rooting around a, a single show um, than it was when Lost was popular. I think also for me the the social media thing is key. Like the you know even um, 
yeah, I think law started in 2004 and that was right around the time that Facebook really started taking off. And, but, but even then there wasn't really, there weren't really that many people talking about the show in the same way and in, in the same, uh, the the same sheer volume that people talk about shows right now. So I think it was one of those first shows that sort of crystallized at the exact right time with the rise of social media, where it was like as social media as as forms, as, you know, as as Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that were rising and and the popularity of those were growing. Lost was the thing that everybody was watching at that time. And like Brad said, there weren't that many options, weren't nearly as many options. Right now, there's like 500 original scripted shows yeah. on TV in a given year. And it was not like that in, you know, 2008 or whatever. So um, I think it was just a, a, a really like a case of perfect timing all the way around. Yeah. And we're, and we're all fragmented. You know, we're watching, we're binging at different times. We're DVRing. We're not watching week to week. And there isn't that water cooler discussion uh, I, I guess maybe HBO is the only one that can kind of uh, facilitate that nowadays. Um, but let's move on to Alien. Alien Awakening is the next uh, film in this franchise. And we have learned a little bit about the, the, the this next film. It could return to the Alien homeworld. Brad, what do we know? Well, it seems unlikely that Alien Awakening will actually happen since audiences weren't too keen on Alien Covenant and the franchise may have finally come to an end. But, you know, with Ridley Scott, anything is possible. He's always seems to be working on something. Uh, and there is a script already in place for Alien Awakening by John Logan, who wrote Covenant. And some details emerged since Empire had a special uh, classic Alien issue dedicated to just the legacy of the Alien films in general. Uh, and the details they unearthed about John Logan's script for Alien Awakening say that it would have uh, brought back the engineers from Pr Prometheus, the the big, pale, swole uh, characters who were responsible for basically creating humanity. And apparently in this in Awakening, they would be chasing after David, Michael Fassbender's android character. Uh, and then... Uh, I, I, enough point, with freaking David. I don't care about David. Like, I don't know, I, I feel like I was one of the only people who liked Prometheus, and maybe it's because I was looking for something to fill that kind of, like, lost vibe, and uh, I don't know, I kind of like the mysteries, and I, I, I'm kind of interested in the engineers, and I want the engineers, but I, I don't give an, an F about David. I, I like David as a character, and I like Michael Fassbender's portrayal of him, but I think Ridley Scott has spent too much time on the myth of creation and trying to explain it in, the, in a way that is tied into the alien mythology and xenomorphs and that kind of thing. But, uh, and the it's, one thing it's that, not called David awakening, it's called alien awakening. Well, so because it's called alien awakening, uh, there is a tie back to the original alien because apparently in this movie, they would eventually end up at, uh, going back to the planet LV four, two, six, which technically but, isn't the alien home world, right? It's, it's just where we found them. I mean, I, don't know. I, I, I guess, yeah, because David is now responsible for creating the xenomorphs, I guess. So I, it's, who knows? It's so confusing. And I'm just uh, I, I would like to just pretend that the, the original Alien movies are the only ones that we have. Ben, do you have any interest in seeing this become a reality? Zero, Peter. Zero interest. <laughs> None whatsoever. I know there's a lot of people out there. I mean, uh, Maybe not a lot, but there's there's definitely a, a certain number of people, at least on film Twitter, who have a, a reverence for 
Alien Covenant. And our our own to... Chris Evangelista is one of those. Yeah, people. yeah. Chris, Chris loves it, and uh, I just, I don't know. I, just, I don't get it. I, I also don't get it. Like, why do we need the scene with the flute playing and whatever? <laughs> uh, okay, let, let's move on to Hulu. We were talking about Netflix before. Hulu is trying to you know up their game, and they have uh, acquired a George R. R. Martin uh, book. This is a superhero uh, series. Ben. Tell us about it. Yeah, so uh, George R. R. Martin actually edits a – it's really like a wide-ranging uh, franchise almost of sci-fi novels and anthologies and all sorts of different things under the title of Wild Cards. And he, I think, has written some of it, but mostly he is just sort of overseeing and, and editing uh, a lot of work from other authors. Um and Hulu is opening a writer's room for two shows that are based on wild cards, which is this sci-fi kind of superhero show that takes place in an alternate American timeline uh, in which an alien virus that was released in 1946 has devastated humanity. And I have heard of this show, but I don't think I ever really knew or I'm sorry, I've heard of wild cards, but I, I never really knew what it was about. And this is a synopsis from Variety. Called the wildcard virus, it is passed down through generations and can go undetected until suddenly activated by a traumatic event, at which point the carrier is either killed, mutated, or granted godlike powers, effects that are largely a manifestation of the victim's emotional state, making them vulnerable to reverence or ridicule on a deeply personal level. Now, after decades of sociological turmoil, having been worshipped, oppressed, exploited, and ignored, victims of the virus want to define their own future." That sounds super fascinating to me. I have no idea why I've never read any of these, but um, now that I know what it's about, I'm I'm definitely going to look into, you know, reading some of this stuff. I'm I'm kind of curious as to how Hulu is going to approach this because there have been like over forty authors and uh, twenty five books or something in this franchise. So there's a lot of ground to cover here. So you say they're developing two of them. Yeah, at least two uh, shows right now. I mean, Variety says that Hulu is opening a writer's room for two shows that are based on wild cards. So that's what we know at this point. We're not sure, um, you know, who is going to be involved. But we know that uh, George R. R. Martin and uh, what is his name? Uh, Snodgrass. Melinda Snod. I'm sorry, her name. Melinda Snod- uh, Snodgrass is the also also an editor of this uh, overarching franchise, and they are going to be involved as executive producers at Hulu, but um, we're not sure, you know, who is going to be uh, coming on yeah. board to actually fill out those writers' rooms. Now, I know you're a big reader. After reading this and getting intrigued, are, are you uh, tempted to jump in? Yeah, I'm. I'm Definitely adding the, at least the first book uh, of this to my uh, reading list uh, immediately. I'm in the middle of reading a bunch of stuff right now, so I'll probably get to this, oh, I don't know, the middle of next year by the time <laughs> I, I cross the things off that are already on my list. But uh, I'm, I'm definitely intrigued enough by that description to uh, to hope good, for good things for this Hulu show. Because we were just talking about Hulu on, on the podcast a couple days ago, talking about how they don't really have too many like prestige, uh, you know, prestige play options for their in their original content and this could be one of those things this could be their uh attempt to get you know create a water cooler type show that is um more like uh genre based than something like the handmaid's tale for sure uh we'll hear about that in the water cooler in a year and a half (laughs) (laughs) so look out for that uh 
Let's move on to the uh, to the mailbag. Uh, we got a, a bunch of letters uh, responding to things we said in previous episodes. Last week, we collectively said how Cassian Andor, uh, Diego Luna's character in Rogue One, was our least favorite part of that movie. Uh, Pablo from Fort Wayne, Indiana, wrote in a defense, which I will post in the show notes. But basically, he says that uh, he can tell you that the buzz around Latino Twitter is big on this. Personally, I couldn't be more excited to be seeing a Star Wars show led by a Latino. This is something I've always wanted as a kid, a Latino in Star Wars universe. It would have been huge for me. As far as performance go, I thought he was one of the people who shined in Rogue One. And I loved the character because he was one who'd been in the struggle for years already and gave weight to the rebellion in my mind. I had a nephew who loved Rogue One because of Cassian and his character is the reason he started loving Star Wars. And he goes on. Um, he actually says that uh, th- this cousin, when The Force Awakens came out, uh, the, the, that Halloween, his nephew uh, told him he couldn't dress as a Jedi because there weren't any Mexican Jedis. And it broke my heart. Um, I think we all agree that uh, representation in big pop culture like Star Wars it's important and I don't uh, you know I'm glad that uh, there was a Latino character in Rogue One and I am it's cool that Disney is giving a Latino character the you know his own show on Disney uh, what are they calling Disney Disney Plus Plus, yeah Uh, it actually seems like Disney is really going for the Latino market like it seems like they with especially with Coco they have found They've struck gold. Not not to put this down to uh, business and stuff, because but that's what it is. It is show business. Um, I I just wish that Cassian Andor was a more interesting character to me, if that makes sense. Like I, I I'm glad he's there and I'm glad he's getting a show and maybe this show can develop him into a more interesting character. Do you guys have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think the most interesting part of Cassian in Rogue One is. In the uh, opening movie, when we see him, when he kills that spy, yeah, uh, that's I think the most fascinating part because it shows kind of the darker side of what the Rebel Alliance needs to do in order to protect themselves and actually, you know, try and infiltrate the Empire. And I think digging into a little bit more of the, the you know, morally and ethically questionable side of you know what these guys have to do um, as rebels is something that's interesting that would make for a captivating show. 100%. I and that scene was all a reshoot to add to the film. I think like his character was maybe so bland that they like decided to add that in late into the, you know, the Rogue One uh reshoots that whole mess. Um let's move on to uh another uh response. I uh asked what characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, what side characters would you would listeners like to see get a Disney streaming series? We got a bunch of responses, uh, most of which probably not worth reading here, uh, not to be flippant. But uh, one I did want to read is Alan Wise in Atlanta, Georgia, wrote in that he would like to see a series featuring the three friends of Scott Lang, a.k.a. Ant-Man, surrounding their ex-con business. And it, you know, wouldn't even have to, I'm guessing it wouldn't even have to, you know, deal with superheroes. It could just be that business is is that something you guys would like to see 
Uh, <laughs> that that is kind of a cool idea. Yeah, I think I would be down for that, especially if uh, Michael Pena is involved. I like those characters, but I think they work best in small doses. So I'm not sure an entire series dedicated to their antics is good. Like it could be a you know sort of a funny workplace comedy series, I suppose, but. At the same time, I would almost rather just see them maybe just get their own one shot or something like that. Yeah, that, I think that's a better idea, actually, now that I, I yeah. think you've sold me on that, Brad. See, I, that's what I really want. I want a Marvel one shot series where every episode is just like its own anthology thing. Like, you know, one episode could be XCON, one episode could be, you know, whatever. It, it could just take place with little side characters and little side things and fill in the gaps and tell stories within the Marvel Cinematic Universe that we would never get otherwise. Um, please. I feel like that has to be coming, right, Peter? Like, that's <sighs> such that 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 has to be coming at some point, right? I don't know. I know Kevin Feige was so excited for those one shots that came out on the the home video releases, and uh, they just weren't uh, practical from a financial standpoint to do. Like they thought it was going to be easy to do because they would have the sets from the movies and they would have the character, uh, the actors ready from the movies. But yeah, uh, the budgets were just uh, they, they had to give them to the home video budget and it, like ate into things. I don't know. It was so weird. But I I feel like. You know, if Black Mirror or any of these, you know, anthology shows can cast like a whole new cast, get a whole new, uh, you know, set and whatever for every episode, why can't Marvel do that? Like Kevin Feige, please, Marvel one shots the series. I I I want it, um, <laughs> and I think it would be a good way to uh, develop things that could turn into movies and stuff, or maybe even TV shows. Do you know what I mean? Like it would be a good like testing ground to see. Yeah. Uh, not not only characters and scenarios, but filmmakers. But it uh, makes too much sense for them to not do it. I think. Yeah. Um, one last email in response. Uh, Ht and Chris couldn't understand why Boba Fett was so beloved. Uh, Declan from Toronto wrote in a letter. I'll put it in the show notes. But basically says it really stems from the Star Wars legends. There were several comics and uh in books uh that expanded the character into fully realized complex background of Boba and how, how he, how badass of a fighter and strategist he was. He was depicted as a true anti-hero. What George Lucas did to him in return of the Jedi did not do any justice. And it's not the first time George exploited a potential great character for comedic relief, uh, falling clumsily into the Sarlacc pit. Um, so in his point of view, Yes, the action figures were badass as well, but it was the books and comics. What do you guys think? Do you, do you guys think it was – why do you think Boba Fett was such a beloved character? Uh, I'm with HT and Chris on this one. I, I have no idea what happened. But, uh, Brad, you're a way bigger Star Wars fan than I am. What, what do you think about Boba Fett? I Honestly, I love Boba Fett, and I think a big part of it is because – the the stories that he did have in the legends were very cool and he was a great character. You don't you don't get to see that in the movies. And so if you're not as ingrained in Star Wars as some of the bigger fans are like myself, you don't really understand why Boba Fett is supposed to be so revered and cool, uh, you know, other than the fact that he just has, you know, one of the coolest pieces of armor, you know, in the entire Star Wars franchise. Um, but like yeah, Return of the Jedi really sullies 
what Boba Fett is just because he gets taken out like a punk in that movie. <laughs> but if you just look at how Boba Fett is in Empire, like he's he's kind of this cool, quiet, mysterious bounty hunter dude. And the Legends movie um, stories only made him that much cooler. And so I, you know, I, I like Boba Fett, but like it's 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 gotten to the point now where because of his origin in the prequels, it's gotten really hard to do anything substantial with him because now we know where he comes from and, and who he is. So he's kind of ruined in yeah. that way now, uh, which is it's it's a real bummer. But I, I, I for me, like I just I like thinking of Boba Fett as the character from the original trilogy where there uh, wasn't a lot known about him. And like, you know, the, and just those legend stories from the books that were released. See, I didn't read any of the Boba Fett legend stories. For me, I think as a kid watching those films, Boba Fett just like looked so badass, and I had the action figure. And I feel like there is a bit of that, like not knowing who is beneath that helmet, and uh, the mystery, and and kind of like creating your own like ideas to it. To me, I think it is mostly kind of uh you know having to wait three years or whatever it was in between the movies and kind of like imagining you know who is this person and how cool uh you you know like i feel like um not that people liked uh solo star wars story but i feel like the same thing probably could have happened to emphy's nest if they didn't unmask her character at the end of that uh movie i feel like it's it's all because of we not knowing who's below that helmet that I think is the appeal of a character like Boba Fett or Emphy's Nest. Um, but and, uh, and, and that's not to say like I, I, I don't know. It's just uh, I, I feel like the, it, it's same with like Mike Myers or Michael Myers. Same with in any part of, you know, cinematic film. Like I feel like the mystery is what's appealing to me. But, uh, yeah, uh, let's move on to our one actual question in this mailbag. And that is from Colin from San Jose, who writes in that uh, hopefully you can help me on this disagreement my cousin and I have. Do you consider going to a movie with someone hanging out? If you go with your significant other, is it considered a date? Hypothetically, let's say it's just a movie and you won't be getting food before or after. Is it hanging out? Thanks. So uh, let's start with Ben. Is going to a movie, going to the cinema, just alone uh, with someone, is that hanging out? I'm going to say no. I don't think so. I think you have to, for it to be hanging out, I think there has to be a time of uh, meaningful discussion afterwards about what you saw. Because like this person saying you're not going to get food afterwards. I assume that also means that uh, you're not going to, you know, go anywhere and, and continue being together and have enough time to talk about the movie afterwards. If it's just literally going to meet somebody at a movie theater or maybe just like picking them up, going to the movie, dropping them off. I, I don't think that's good enough. I, I don't think that qualifies as hanging out. But, like, it's not like they're going to walk out of the theater and then just, like, part their separate ways without having any discussion, right? Um, I don't know. I, I think even if you just walk out to the parking lot and have, like, a five-minute conversation about something, that's not – I don't know. I feel like it's all about quality time, right? Like, the that's the idea of, of hanging out with people, especially right now. We're always talking about how fractured everybody is and, and how many things there are to, to draw our attention. The idea of 
actually spending time with somebody and like discussing in a like digging in in a deep way beyond just oh yeah I liked it I thought it was cool that was my favorite part all right see you later like I, I think there's there's something to be said for taking the time to actually uh yeah even if you're not even talking about the movie anymore but just to to continue that uh continue being together with another person beyond just uh, outside of the confines of the movie theater i feel like that's what you need for it to actually be called hanging out but i don't know maybe maybe i'm the only one here who thinks that what do you think brad yeah i, I think i'm gonna get disagree just because i feel like experiencing the movie with somebody is in itself hanging out like you're both watching the story unfold at the same time you're both reacting to it sharing you know laughs or tears or gasps or frights whatever it is and so even though you're not interacting with somebody you're still hanging out like i mean if you, if you went to a concert with somebody would you say that you didn't hang out with that person hmm um yeah i'll get back to me on that one let me think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's the same kind of thing and like and from uh if, if you were to you were to draw a line i would say it's a little less hanging out if like you're meeting somebody at the theater and you're just going your separate ways and you don't talk much but like for me I definitely like feel like I hang out with my friends when I go to movies with them especially if we drive there together because usually we're talking about stuff you know leading up to the movie and we're talking about it afterwards on the way home so I that, that's definitely a hangout to me it's not necessarily the most in-depth hangout where you're you know talking the entire time um, I, I will say if you're going on a first date, going to a movie is probably isn't the best idea because you're not talking and you should be um, for, for that kind of situation. But going to a movie with a significant other is, you know, it can be considered a date, I think, especially if, you know, you're, you're paying for the, for the ticket and like you're getting snacks together and that kind of thing. Like you're, you're still experiencing something together and doing something uh, as, you know, a, a couple. Yeah. I, I think it's all about quality time as, as Ben said, so like if you're driving to the movie with the, that person and you're going, you know, you don't show up at the movie at the exact time the movie starts. So you show up like a half an hour early. You get concessions with them. You go sit in the their seat. You're while well, those ads are playing and you're like talking with them. And then after the movie, you're probably even if you're not going to go out and eat and discuss it, you're probably like hang outside the theater or drive home and have a discussion. So I feel like if there's a significant amount of that time, it is hanging out. If it is literally, like, if you're not getting much of that quality time, it's not hanging out. And uh, I, I would also uh, agree with Brad that you should never go on a <laughs> go to a movie on a first date or even a second date or a third date. Like, I feel like those dates should be, you know, more uh, interactive. Um, Ben, you didn't talk about the date aspect. Um, yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I guess it, it all comes down to quality time. I feel like if there's, uh, you know, even if it's just me and my wife, I, I don't know if I would. By, by consider, the way, I, I, yeah. I, 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 I want to point out that this is kind of a loaded question that Brad asked you because your first date with your wife was technically to, to a concert. <laughs> <laughs> that's that is true um but there was a lot of i would say quality time in the drive there because you're in la traffic which takes a long time to get anywhere so yeah. there was a lot of uh, a lot of back and forth there going on but um i think oh man uh i i think if I, okay so i think the the entire concept is couched in like what is a date and what is hanging out and i think that means as we've talked about, it's just spending enough time with the other people. So 
as long as there's enough time, I think Peter, you wrapped it up well in the last part of the conversation. As long as there's enough time, then I, I think it's fine. I think if I were to, I don't have kids, but if I were to tell my wife, like, you know, if we had kids and I was like, Hey, I'm going to take you out on a date. We're going to go see this movie. And all we did was drive to the movie and back. I, I feel like I would feel, and maybe she would feel like that was, um, not quite good enough. <laughs> you know, I, I would, I would want to, I would want to spend more time with her in, in a meaningful capacity than just that. So I don't know, take, take from all of this, what you will listeners. I'm, I'm not sure <laughs> how to say it any other way. Yeah, no, I, I think we've covered all the bases here. Uh, if you have a question to ask us in the mailbag, you can send it to peter at slashfilm.com. Uh, Brad, where can people find more of your work online? Always at slashfilm.com. Find me on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. And my podcast, Go Flix Yourself, available on iTunes and other podcasting platforms. And we'll put Brad's uh, pitch for a Ghostbusters reboot in, in the... Uh, in the show notes for you to read. Uh, ben, where can people find more of your work? You can also find me at SlashFilm.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears. You can find me at SlashFilm on all social media. You can find all the stories we talked about today on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. This podcast, SlashFilm Daily, is published every day, a weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please go rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. I'll <coughs> see you. Brad, what is going on here? I thought I was muted. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll see you guys tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>